Englishman in San Diego. At the International Comics Expo, Margate 2018. Afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Mike Connery, but you're not here to listen to me. We're going to talk today to Lawrence Campbell, who's done quite a lot of things since I knew him as a lad buying comics from my comic shop. Um, so, when we were talking last night, you mentioned about how. What you want to do is draw comics. Mm. You can make money elsewhere, <laughs> better money, shall we say, elsewhere. But uh, why comics? Um, comics appealed to me really early on. And I mean, like, probably about nine years old, I was reading 2000 AD um, and kind of Marvel UK comics. And um, it kind of stuck with me that I just wanted to draw these heroes but I also knew that well I, I thought that the people that draw these comics and write these comics lived in America and were pretty much had careers like um, astronauts that you know something that any, nobody can get as it were um, so I kind of I wasn't particularly great at school other than at art and that's what I put all my focus in and um, I was leaning towards graphics and graphic design so um, I left school at 16 <clears throat> was lucky enough to get a job as a runner for a design company in London and I worked there for about 22 years um, doing graphic design but wanted to go back to comics as it were like wanted to draw comics in my spare time I was coming to your shop I was buying the comics and I just wanted to do them so I used to do stuff for your shop uh, like headers and things like this um, and then I kind of hooked up with somebody well first of all I started going to the David Lloyd Cartoon Centre which was um, it, picked at certain people and uh, it was an evening class. Wasn't that Notting Hill? That's it, yeah. And um, I went there for a couple of years, evening classes, and my kind of passion for comics was getting more and more that I ended up finding a person who had written a future shock for 2000 AD and said to me, oh, I've got a 32-page comic if you want to draw it. And I was like, yeah, I'll draw that, not knowing anything about the process. So um, I pencil inked and lettered this old comic. Was that the caliber? It was. But at the time, it didn't have a publisher. So I was I just doing it free-for-all, as it were. Um, and then it, <clears throat> when it was finished, we sent it off to different publishers, got some rejection letters in the UK, so I sent it abroad to America. And it got picked up by Caliber Comics, who printed it as a one-shot. And then when um, I left my job in graphic design. Sorry, what was the comic called? It was called Something Inside. And it was kind of like a, a dark love story. So this was at the time, round about when Vertigo was just being born, as it were. Yeah. So it was a kind of a teenage dark love story uh, with knives. And... Um, <laughs> um, Nowadays we call it self harm. Yeah, okay. And uh, yeah, so it went, it went that way. Really. <coughs> but what that was, that was the, like the first connections. So that got me published work at Calibre, and then when I, I left and went to art college as a mature student, and um, it, while I was at art college, I was doing more, I was drawing more comics, and then uh, one of those Calibre comics ended up being published by Image Comics, which was a bigger deal, called Di uh, Disciples, and they coloured it, and it was, uh, this is where the snowball effect happens, and that ended up getting um, seen by 2000 AD, and then in the year 2000, 2000 AD rang me up and said, would you like to draw John Wagner, Judge Dredd? And um, that was it really, that kind of, kind of, well, blew, A, blew my mind, but I'd done the Dread, and then I ended up working for 2000 AD for about three, four years, and then my work got seen by Marvel. Um, I'd done some Marvel work, and then they offered me an exclusive, and I went exclusive with them for a number of years, and then as the exclusive finished, um, uh, Dark Horse, uh, one of their writers called John Akudi, who writes B or was writing BPID, he got in touch with me via Facebook. And then I've ended up working for them for the last six years. For those that don't know, BPRD, uh, Bureau Paranormal, can't think what the D stands, department. I think, I'm not entirely sure. No, no. <laughs> anyway, it's a spin-off from Hellboy, uh, Mike Mignola's... Uh, mm 
to the force. Yeah. Uh, now you've been working at Marvel. You've been doing superheroes, Wolverine, and yep. Punisher. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but you know, to get onto something where you've got this creator who is one of the 21st century's great minds, if yeah. you like. Intimidated? Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, um, you can't help but be. It's kind of a mixture of um, being really excited and totally feared, <laughs> kind of fearful at the same time. Um, and I remember kind of, um, I, I, um, I, I sent my, well, first of all, the writer put me forward as an artist. They accepted and they gave me a free part on. And if I'm honest, I think they were still unsure that period whether it worked out. But it just seemed to, everything just seemed to click. It clicked for me. I think working for Mike made me raise my game more. Even though I was trying beforehand, I just tried, you know, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't let the side down because, you know, you, you, you were following Guy Davis, James Harron. These are really, to me, incredible artists as well. And you've got Mike doing the covers. That, um, yeah, I, you know, I tried my best. I've done a lot of research. And, uh, yeah, it seemed to have worked out well. Did you get any feedback directly from Mike? Yeah, I, get, I still get feedback. Um, every, every week I send in three pages of art and every week um, Mike gets to see it and occasionally comes back with comments. Most of them are good. Um, I think, well, it's, it's tell a lie, I think all of them are good. Any kind of changes are caught earlier on and that's with the editors and that's at the layout stage. Right, so BPRD is your regular gig at the moment? Yeah, it has been for about the past five years and will be yeah, for foreseeable yeah, Was your stomach in your mouth at all when it looked like Mike was going to kill the whole damn thing off? <laughs> you know what? I got told... Is it, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to talk about the comic as the comic is out now, as it were. But um, I got told two years ago that um, Hellboy was coming back on buying the phone. Couldn't tell a soul kind of thing. And, um, I got, and I've been also told where BPRD is going in the future as well. And frankly, I was like, I was sold by that, that, yeah, I'm there, I want to be with it. So this is kind of, you know, Mike's had this vision right from the beginning. And we're, and, you know, we're just following, following the pattern to the end, really. Right, right. Now, a lot of artists, particularly British artists, they want to work for Marvel or DC. That, to them, is the holy grail. Mm. But you're more than happy where you are. Yes. Would you want to go back and work in for the, the big players? Yeah, I'm kind of... I, I, I don't see it as big players, and I, I think about... I mean, I get to draw monsters and military hardware fighting each other, and that's what I enjoy doing, frankly, kind of thing. And I think it's much about... Mike's always had the vision that this story's in three arcs, on the beginning, the middle, and the end. And the story... The whole kind of world that he's created is his world and he doesn't let that many people play in that world. So there is a direction of traffic and everything fits, slots together, if that makes sense. So you're not going to have a character do something random and then get changed by a different writer and then get changed by another writer. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah, no, everything, no, no, no. Is, everything is locked in and thought about and I like that. I like that. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, of course, that um, if you were playing in the Marvel or DC sandbox, you do get a lot of editorial interference. Right. And in fact, the probably more likely, editorial control. They control the direction yeah. and you've got to fit in with events right, yes. and whatever. Um, I've been kind of lucky enough that when I did work for Marvel, I kind of I worked on more of the kind of uh, kind of slightly adult titles, and because of those, they don't get fit in with the event slots. So you're kind of left to your own devices a little bit more. I was seen at Marvel as being um, like a street fighter artist. So you're kind of your Daredevils, your Punishers, and things like that, and not so um, your Spider-Man or Avengers. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, going going back, what were you reading? In comics wise before you got your first break oh boy um, I was buying them from your shop um, I can't I, remember yeah, I okay. did have two customers <laughs> um, 2018 was like the main main source um, and then you know I go through periods you went through periods but I remember kind of Vertigo being a really important part of my I remember reading Shade the Changing Man but there was a period beforehand that X-Men was my thing um, 
and I, you know, kind of looking back, I think I've always liked team books, like Avengers, X-Men, and things like that, and BPRD is a team book as well. So I think I like relationships in teams, and if you're able to spend a time on a, on a certain title or a comic, you get to know, I know it sounds daft, but as an artist, you get to know how the character, you feel like how they act, so how they walk, how they think, what clothes they wear. And that's, that's where I am with BPRD at the moment. Okay, okay. Um, a lot of creators have things that they want to do for themselves. Right. You got anything that, you know... Like, like a create-your-own project? Yeah. Something. That seems to be the, uh, the thing at the moment, I would say, is like um, kind of owning your own copyright uh, property. Um, if I'm honest, if somebody come and approach me with an idea that I think has got you know, a lot of strength, then maybe I would have you know, kind of something with it, as it were. But I'm, I'm not sold on... I'm, I'm kind of I'm 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 looking for a good story if I'm honest. That's what that's what I want. I'm not swayed by although there are certain characters I maybe I would like to draw. The main thing I'm looking for is a good story and um, something that won't be just washed out within the next six months as it were. Kind of yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk about your working day. Okay. How do you start your day? Right, well, I've got some slides we can use as we go with this. So, I, I, I work off a script, so I've worked with a number of different writers, and um, some of the writers I, get, I can get to speak to, so I get, the, I get the script via email, some of them I can bring up and I'll speak to them about it. Others, I've, not, I've never spoken to them, as they were, and the first time I'll probably meet them will be at a con. Two types of scripts I get. The first type of script is like this, so this is page one from a Wolverine script, and it's quite, um, it's quite detailed, this script. Um, this script's by Rob Williams, and it's a Wolverine script, so this was the first one we have done for Marvel. And um, he talks about here, he's talking about close-ups, he's talking about angles, he's talking in the way that you would do if it was like a film. But I've also had other scripts which are the completely other way, where it's just like dread <coughs> grim. And no camera angles, nothing like that. It's just kind of generally boiled down to the essence of what's in the script, as it were. Marvel method. Yeah. So I've worked off both ways. Every artist has got their own preference. If I'm honest, I prefer kind of, should we say, detailed scripts. And then I kind of go through it and think to myself, well, that needs to be said, that needs to be said, and that needs to be said. If you've got a good relationship with the writer, if you do have another idea, maybe a different angle or whatever else, I can speak to them on the phone or even do a different layout for it kind of thing and then uh, throw that in as a suggestion as it were because it is a team book as it were kind of thing you're both working together so first thing is a script after I've, I know I'm dyslexic so I read the script about two three times I do little layouts uh, little thumbnails on my actual script when I print it out the next step after that is I then go take it to, uh, to my sketchbook so this is my sketchbook and although this probably doesn't mean a lot to you, this is really important stage for me. This is, is actually planning out the actual issue. So um, this is working out, well, the panels have already, how many panels on the page have already been decided, but this is me deciding my shots, how the angles and things like that will work. And also thinking about page to page. Does one page work with the next page next to it? Kind of thing, is it too much weight over the left-hand side or the right-hand? I'm thinking about word, balloon placements at this point as well. So there's a, although it's very rough, a lot is being fought out at this point. So the next step after this, this is the point where I send work to the editor. So I normally put, I normally put about eight of these to a page, A4 page, and these are my layouts. So this is telling the editor of how I'm breaking down the story. Um, I would also, kind of leave words for the balloons as well. It's at this point that the editor would get back to me with any notes. So any changes at this point. Again, so this, you'll see now the transition. Although that probably looks like a mess to a lot of you, that, in my head, I can see the finished page at this point. Yeah. Um, at this point, I've not sorted out any references at all. I'm still working totally out of my imagination. Um, and then my references will come secondary after this. 
Do you, do you lay out the entire book at this point? Yes. So all 22 pages laid out, all were sent to the editor, and then I get a list back of saying, oh, make that panel bigger, make that panel smaller, if I get any at all. So that's where the general changes come in. So if you see the bottom left, bottom left panel there, that's the black and white artwork. Um, so I do black and white artwork, which then gets coloured. So that, sorry, are you doing pencils and inks? Yeah, pencils and inks. Um, so the way that that page is done is the back, sorry, I'm going to stand up, but the background here, um, I would do is separate layer in Photoshop, but everything, like the line work, is drawn on paper. So it's drawn on paper, scanned in, cleaned up, any kind of effects like the, uh, the washes are put in in Photoshop, and then pretty much just sent off. So the final page, there we go, so that's Dave Stewart's colours over the, uh, over the page. And Dave is kind of, sometimes you get a colourist that you're really fearful, you think, oh, you've destroyed my work, as it were. But with Dave Stewart, I have no qualms at all. The man's incredible. He's an magi a magician in my eyes, to be honest. Um, so yes, so kind of Dave, kind of, whoa. I, it gets sent off in black and white. I scan it, send it off in Whistable. That lands in uh, Portland, Oregon, and then that gets fired around and, be, and being coloured. Right. So, design work. So this was from the first um, BPRDs. Uh, I think it was yeah. This was the the first BPRD series I was working on. Um, BPRD is known for its monsters, and sometimes I get. Um, emails from Mike with monster designs. So he's already designed the monster, which is very exciting when you get an email with these pencils kind of like designing the monsters. Other times they let you design the monsters themselves, but they are really kind of careful with their monsters. They want their monsters to look good. So sometimes you get it backwards and thrown. Um, with the monster design on this one, I, 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 the focus was this monster was gonna burst out the ground and then release a cloud which is going to turn other people into monsters. And um, I kind of first of, I, I think it was this one that, first of all, I was coming up with all these designs that I thought, oh, Mike would like this. And I was trying to draw, if I'm honest, a bit like how I think Mike would have liked it. And I'd done two A4 pages of what I thought Mike would like. And then I'd done a page of roughs that I rejected. I sent the two pages of that I thought Mike would like, and he didn't like. And I sent, well, not just Mike didn't like it, Dark Horse didn't like it. Then I sent a page of my roughs, which I'd rejected myself, and they liked it. Uh, so they, there was one that they, they really liked on that, and they went with that one, as it were. So it's always good to show all your roughs. My influence on this was obviously like a, it was something that, bur it's like this kind of creature that burst out the ground. And for some reason in my head, I wanted to make it kind of have a kind of a Lovecraft type feel to it. Um, but also kind of day the Triffids type feel and kind of um, and I wanted that it, when it opened like the spores came out so I was thinking should we say flower based but I was also thinking jellyfish and I was also thinking human based as well so you've kind of got a bit of jellyfish human spine um, and plant based as well um, up the top there is based on humans ribs as well so I find whenever I design monsters and creatures is to um, hook it with something that's real and then making that unreal. Does that make, yeah. does that make sense? Kind of, because I think there's something really scary if you see something that you feel like you know a little bit of, but also something a little bit extraordinary, rather than trying to make it totally up, as it were. So they're, they're, that's me also trying to work out how the creature would throw its spores out. So that's one of the pages, that's in black and white, so that's what I was drawing. So that's the creature bursting out of the ground, and you can see the helicopter. See, this is the thing I kind of, you know, you ask me why I want to draw PPRD. I get to draw Chinook helicopters, which are really small against kind of huge monsters like this. Now that's exciting, for me anyway. Um, there we go, then you see the creature opening up, it's releasing these spores, and then what happens, the, the spores, people breathing the spores on the helicopter and they start turning into monsters. And then that's it. 
as a double page spread in, uh, in colour, with Dave Stewart's colours. Uh, other designs that I've done. I didn't know you put me in the book. <laughs> I got influenced by stripy shirt, stripy jacket. I'm saying nothing, Mike. <laughs> um, that's from 2018. That's DeMarco. So that was kind of like a gentrified gorilla that I had to draw. So that was from a few years before. That was for. Um, a series that me and Sir Spiria were thinking about doing for 2018 about an undercover uh, judge, which never happened. Again, that's kind of just as a rough idea to put something down that we could send to 2018 at the time. This was a character that was in 2018 called Cinnamon. Um, I think I'd done a couple of series of these and then I ended up coming off the series. Um, yeah, I mean, this was meant to be, for me, it was meant to be a female version of James Bond. And I wanted her to be as kind of, uh, as aggressive as James Bond and as kind of, uh, kind of, as confident as James Bond, shall we say, but as a female and also be a spy. And this was round about the time of Alias was on TV. But the writers had a different interpretation. They wanted her to be more like Barbarella. So I think even from the beginning there was a bit of tension about where the character was going to go. I've got to say, I see Modesty Blaze actually. Yes, and also Black Widow. That, yeah, but I thought yeah. I was too obvious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, But uh, Modesty Blaze, I'd be happy to take that one. <laughs> you mean I've complimented you for once? <laughs> yeah, take that back. So another thing I use uh, when my drawing is SketchUp. So, I'm not particularly great at SketchUp, but I know some people that are better than me, so I sometimes ask them to help me as well. And just a basic model, I don't need anything too complicated. So that's the ship in PPRD. Okay, what's SketchUp? SketchUp is a free, it's called Google SketchUp, and it's a free kind of uh, program you can use on the net. And you can create houses, buildings, and things like that. <coughs> and the great thing about it is that once it's designed, you can turn it around in any direction you want. So 360, and it really helps. If you've got a ship like that, you want, you want to be able to kind of draw it any direction. I don't want it to change too much. Yeah. So I use SketchUp for that, and it saves me time. These are pencils. Now this was a point when I wasn't inking myself. So when I uh, was taken on for 2018, they wanted me to just pencil and not ink myself. Because um, they liked my pencils but couldn't stand my inks. And um, so I just done pencils to be inked by somebody else. Which is, when you think about it, it's quite a strange thing that you draw something up and then you give it to somebody else to ink it. And that could be a good thing, or it can be a bad thing, because it can either bring out the best in your work, or it can totally kill it. Um, and you know, I would say I learned a lot from the experience, because it made me, made me tighten up my pencils more so, because the way that I, I was noticed was the way that I saw the page was different to the way that the inker saw the page. So I tightened up my pencils a lot more to get what I wanted, as it were. But this was a page, uh, this is two pages from Breathing Space, which was a Judge Dredd story set on the moon. And funny enough, it was this work, um, I was working with uh, Rob, uh, Rob Williams at the time, and neither of us worked for Marvel, and we sent breathing space to, to Marvel, uh, to Axel at the time. And uh, we sent this, these pages, or this comic, and also um, a pitch for Starfire, a character called Starfire, um, was it? Sunfire, sorry, Sunfire, uh, kind of mini-series. And uh, he, liked, he liked the artwork, but he said we couldn't use uh, Sunfire because his legs were broken in the comic or something like that kind of thing, and we didn't realize. But he turned around and said, but what I can give you is a, is a double-sized issue Wolverine kind of thing as my first issue. So that was quite nuts, kind of thing, but exciting at the same time. Before we go on from there, yep. if you don't mind, um, you penciled that for somebody else to win. Yes. Now you ink yourself yes. again. Yeah. But there is this move that is almost making inkers redundant. Right. Because colour is so strange. Yeah? Yeah. Um, how do you feel about that? You know, I, it's, it's a strange one, if I'm honest about that, because 
you can't stop progress, as it were, kind of thing, or you can't stop kind of technology kind of moving on, as it were. I think in some cases now, I'm starting to see pencils done where what's happening is the, pen the penciler is working knowing that he's going to be straight coloured, as it were. So what he's doing, he's not filling in the blanks. Because for a colourist, if you do pencils but don't actually black it in, it's a bit of a nightmare for the colourist to colour. Does that make sense? Because you get lots of shade. But if you just leave your blacks with just pure black with an X on it, the colourist can then uh, colour it a lot easier. So, yeah, you are getting artists that are kind of jumping, missing out the inking, but they're drawing as if to be coloured, if that makes sense. Kind of thing. So you're not getting the blacks on there so much. Artistically, how do you feel about it? I mean, do you think it's um, a great innovation? Right. Or, I mean, I have to say, given everything you know about me, that I prefer yeah. pencils, inks, yeah. colours. Yeah. You know, traditionalists, I believe. But do you, I mean, because the pencil, inks, colours only come about because of the, like, tight deadlines yeah. and process, as they were, kind of thing. So it was a case of, like, oh, we give it to the inker, so the artist, the other artists can carry on, like, penciling the next issue. So it, it was really, a, it's a time thing. Um, and don't get me wrong, I love that kind of stuff, and, you know, now I buy comics, I think I buy 90% back issues of, like, Tomb of Dracula and things like this, to, I love all that stuff. But at the same time, there's comics out, there's a new comic out called Verses, and that looks like to me as if it's been penciled to be coloured. And it looks incredible, to be honest. I mean, it does look amazing. Again, it's one of the, I, I honestly think it's just one of those things that is changing. I think when it first started, I didn't particularly like it because it looked like coloured pencils. And in fact, thinking about it, my first dread was coloured straight from my pencils and not actually inked. And I remember when it came out, I was quite disappointed. Did you cry? I didn't cry. I held it back. <laughs> But I was a bit disappointed. But now, as I say, people got used to it and kind of it's moving on. Again, I've, 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 you know, I'm not going to be ardent against it because, like, Versus, I think, is a beautiful comic out and kind of thing. And if we're going to get more of that, then great. I, I still use a lot of black, which generally means it needs to be inked. So, right. That's about what you've got to get. Or you're not going to get a definite, it's bad, or definite, it's good. I don't love you anymore. <laughs> Right, um, so I was offered a, 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 like the Wolverine issue, and they said to me, uh, the, the condition was, okay, we want Wolverine to be in a um, Santa's costume on the front cover. You can do whatever you want, but Wolverine's got to look, uh, he's got to wear a Santa's costume on the front. And I thought, that's going to look rubbish. Kind of thing. And how can I make that look rubbish? Well, I started having a thing, and generally Wolverine looks menacing because of his claws, but another thing that makes things look menacing is if that you remove the face. You remove the face, then there's a sense of mystery, possible anger, but it, it kind of builds on your anxiety, as it were. So if you use shadows and things like that, it can, rather than showing the monster, indicating the monster can be just as scary. So what I've done is I've done a number of, these are roughs, and then what I, I sent in a number of roughs with Wolverine in a Santa's costume. Here's some more. So they have an option on where to go with that, as it were. And that's what they went with. So, um, yeah. Okay, just, it might be a mistaken impression on my part, but I thought particularly at Marvel, you, the interior artists had to work hard to end up getting the cover as well. But it sounds like they went, oh, just the cover as well to you. Yeah. Um, yes, and they've done it a couple of times as well. And to be fair, I mean, I really, I think covers appeal to my graphic design sense that I worked in beforehand, as it were. I like working on covers. Um, when I worked to Marvel, I'd done a number of different covers, which was an absolute pleasure to work on. Then I went to Dark Horse, I didn't expect to work on covers, but they offered me covers as well, and then, yeah, I kind of I really enjoy working on could you would, Could you see a point in your career where you become Lawrence Campbell cover artist, or, it, or is the story the thing for you? I would say I've got a couple more years in me yet. <laughs> <laughs> of the story. What do you think? But yeah, yeah. 
But I can see that being a very nice attraction later on of just being a cover eye. I still must admit, but not yet. No, no, I've still got some more stories to tell. So, but yeah, I can see that. So, after I'd done Wolverine, um, I was asked to do Punisher. And with Wolverine, I was still being inked by somebody else. But when it comes to Punisher, I kind of, I, I wanted to have a go at inking again. And I sent in a couple of roughs to Axel. And I said, look, this is Punisher and this is why I'm thinking. And his reply to me was, never let anybody else ink your work ever again, kind of thing. And it was that moment that really changed everything, if I'm really honest, kind of thing. It was like, that gave me the confidence I think I needed to say, you know what, you, you can do this, it's all right, kind of thing. And um, yeah, I kind of started inking myself from then on. I, you know, probably still learning on the job, but that's part of the process as well. And so kind of, yeah, so this is me inking the Punisher, a lot darker then, and kind of a little bit more textural as well. It's very hard to indicate texture in pencil, but in ink, it's a lot easier kind of thing. So I just felt a lot more at home. And it was while I was drawing Punisher, pretty much at the beginning of Punisher, when they offered me a kind of exclusive deal. So these, this is Punisher as well. Um, my kind of references for this are, as much as they are comics, I would, whenever, whenever I looked at Punisher beforehand, I kind of, I liked the idea, I used to see these lovely Tim Bray Street covers, and you know, the art inside was good, but for me, I really wanted it to be like more noir, I was thinking Michael Mann type films of reflected I was seeing Scorsese there. Yeah, okay, yeah, that, but I, I wanted to bring that into Punisher, as it were, yeah. kind of thing. And I don't know whether it seemed to hit the right time, but it, you know, it seemed to go down quite well, kind of thing, and kind of, I still get asked about my Punisher stuff now, so yeah, but that's the kind of, that's the area I was looking. I was also working with crime writers as well, so probably I was thinking... Was it Greg Rooker on that? No, it wasn't. It was Greg Harowitz, and then I worked with a few other different kind of crime writers as well. What happened was Garth Ennis left, and they got crime writers in to kind of you know, carry on the story. So, yeah, just some more Punisher, really. Again, to me, there's much more. Punisher is kind of iconic because of his skull. You, kind of, you can just show... What I've done with Punisher is, is his skull is the thing that's important. And you don't need to see his face, or you can have his face in darkness, because, as I said before, there's a sense of mystery of that. And when you see your face, when you see his face, it's kind of like, oh, shit, that's that moment you're in, he's in, tr you're in trouble, as it were, because you're up close and personal with him, as it were, kind of thing. I see, and it doesn't show there, but in some of your close-ups of the Punisher, I see Tim Bradstreet. Is he yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying about kind of, I wanted Tim Bradstreet inside. I think that's also because Tim Bradstreet uses reference and I use reference as well. So there's that kind of connection there. And Tim, when doing Punisher, was kind of like heavy on the darks as well. So yeah, no, there's definitely connections there. So that's Punisher versus Jigsaw. Now this was also Punisher, but this was kind of set in kind of Japan in the past. So it's like a, kind of a rogue Ronin uh, type thing going on with Punisher. Um, again, I've kind of taken the noir type feel kind of thing, I, you know, like with the person being stabbed. You know, I've tried to create a violent act, but you don't need to show the gore too much. Because I feel like if, sometimes if you show the gore too much, it ends up being cartoon gore. So it's a very fine balance. So, and I've also, you've kind of got some storytelling devices going on here, which I'll show. So you've got the woman here, and the way that she's leaning, she's leaning down into the next panel. Can you see that? And then her, she's looking down into this panel. And then you've got the angle here, which leads into here, which leads down to there. That's kind of like a storytelling device. I'm kind of trying to get your eye to go down to the last, last page. So from here down to here, follow the sword down into the final panel. Um, well, I don't know what's happened to the bottom panel there, but this is Deadpool. Punish, punish, oh, Deadpool on the zebra crossing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. This is Deadpool pulp. Um, so kind of you've got your Deadpool character, but set in the 1940s. Again, um, kind of noir type feel, mystery woman. Um, and I remember seeing, um, oh, 
remember it then, can't remember it now. What's the film ah, with Robert De Niro and the egg, where he peels the egg? Angel Heart, that's it. In Angel Heart, there's a fantastic lift. And, um, I, I, yeah, exactly, and I love that lift. So I thought I'd use that lift in here. Um, so I kind of, I remembered the lift, and we had an old lift like this at our college as well, so kind of everything kind of made sense. So, uh, yeah, rather than just do an ordinary lift, I love the idea of the lift going down, and you've got like the pattern of the lift moving on, the, on their bodies, even though it's a steel comic. So this is the next page, so, you know, you've got the fight scene going on, but I like it that the fight scene is kind of distracted with the light of the lift, you know, like the light coming in, so there's a sense of movement, as it were. And then you've got like a cool shot of this woman at the end, kind of. I get the, the sense um, that film is a big influence yeah. on you, but how can you even split the influences between what you've seen in comics and what you've seen on the screen? I mean, do, what is your big... I mean, I've got some massive, I mean, John Byrne, I mean, you see no John Byrne in there, but John Byrne is a massive influence on comics, as it were, for me. And then you've got, I remember seeing Gene Colan's work for the first time, that blew my mind. And as I said, it's recently I've been buying his Draculas, it's just insane. And then there's people like John Paul Leon, as well, as um, an artist around at the moment. His work blows, blows my mind as well. So it's kind of that, but you know, I, I make myself out as if I'm a huge film buff. I really like films, but there's plenty of films I've not seen, kind of thing, and my mates always have a go at me for not watching Firefly and things like this, kind of thing. So there's tons of things I've not seen, but I kind of, I, I, don't, I, I seem to watch a film. I watch a film in well, certainly a different way to my wife. I look at the lighting, and I'm looking at kind of the shadows that are created and things like that, kind of thing, and then I try to use that in my work. Right, okay. So this is Deadpool Pulp again. And um, the reason why I put this page in is uh, for storytelling, really. So this is just a guy doing like you know, parkour from one place to another. So the chase is on. So jumping between two buildings, almost like a silhouette, you just kind of, these two buildings kind of, should we say, create a shape that you look directly at the man. And then you've got the angle where he's running along, he's chasing the woman in the crowd, but you've got this really strong line here which then brings you down to the ladder where he's jumping down onto the street into the final image. So again, I've got this thing of trying to pull your eye down in the storytelling thing. Now, the interesting thing is, a lot of my work when I was working at Marvel, um, at the beginning of the Punisher stuff, I was asked to do widescreen panels. So this is a widescreen panel. A lot of them, I was asked to do Punisher just that way. You weren't allowed to use any other panels. Every panel had to be widescreen which in a way is a, makes it difficult, but also easy for, in a way it makes it easy because it's already decided for you. You can't have any other shape panels. It's got to be widescreen. But in the other way, you've then got to make sure that every shot fits in a widescreen angle, as it were. But that's one of the reasons why it also makes it look filmic, because you've got the wide angle look on it kind of thing. And I just carried on that. They, Marvel seemed to like that, and it seemed to fit with Deadpool, Pulp, and everything else, really. Um, this is probably kind of the best seller that I had at Marvel. And this was Marvel Universe versus Wolverine, which was great fun to draw. Um, this was that fanboy moment for me, I think. <laughs> um, I got to draw pretty much a lot of the Marvel Universe, and I got to draw Wolverine, killing them all, kind of thing, which was like quite a pleasure. Um, you know, kind of, I grew up reading this comic at this period of time, so that one panel alone is kind of means a lot to me. But, you know, I got to draw Wolverine doing a fastballs, fastball special and things like that. So it was a lot of fun doing that. You know, Wolverine versus Colossus, all good fun. Uh, top panels, so what you've got there is you've got a kind of, you can, you can control time by the shape of your panels um, in a comic. So kind of Frank Miller kind of, I kind of learned this stuff from Frank Miller really, but like very fine panels show a very kind of kind of snippets of time. Long widescreen panel slows the reader down kind of into look at the panel kind of in a much longer period of time. So what you've got at the top is that you've got Colossus first of all beating the crap out of Wolverine and you've got these moments of when they're friends, like in the past, 
Yeah, this would have been shown, there'd be a bit more clarity this with the way that it's colored as well. So present, past, present, past, that one and that one, similar size panels. Do you see what I mean? So I've tried to make a connection with them and then crunch when Wolverine kills Colossus with a big statement, so a big panel at the end. You put, you, you obviously put a lot of uh, thought into your panel layouts and page layouts. Um, how much of your time do you think is, goes into working out what the pages are going to look like and how much into the actual drawing? Yeah, it's interesting because when I worked at Marvel, you, they kind of worked out your schedule and that was it, but they didn't give you any time to, or they certainly didn't when I was there, any time to plan the book. Dark Horse give me one week to plan the book and then they give me my weekly schedule from there, as it were, kind of thing. Um, and if at Dark Horse, um, I do use that whole week to sit down. And I like this period of time. It's really hard. I really, so when I'm drawing, when I'm inking, I can listen to the radio. When I'm doing my page layouts, I can't have any on. Uh, I must be in total silence. And I see it as the same way as problem solving. So it's like cracking a case or doing a crossword or something along those kind of... Do you, do you see what I mean? I'm, I feel like the answer is in the panel and I've got to solve the problem, as it were, kind of thing. And then I just spend time trying to work it out. And then there's also this kind of thing that I used to teach, well, not teach, but talk about at our college, about um, gut feeling, when you just know it feels right, as it were. And sometimes you, yeah, you kind of, you just feel yourself that the, the flow is correct here and things like that, and your work works with it. How, how, what's the time span between the the uh, script hit in your inbox and the last page going off to the ed to editor room, right. roughly. Well, at the moment, I say it's about, I get approximately two months to draw an issue at the moment. Bi-monthly? Um, no, with the way that it used to work, we had two writers, sorry, two artists working on right. different things. But at the moment, um, they're kind of cool with me Kind of it's stuck with you, I think. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> They're stuck with me. Yeah. But um, when I worked at Marvel, I was doing five pages a week. I, you know, for Dark Tower, I was working that. For Wolverine, I was working on three to four pages a week. At the beginning, I started at three. Then it went to three to four. Then it went to four, and then it went to five pages a week. But even that, across four weeks, is in a twenty-two page book. So were you constantly yeah. struggling with deadlines? Yes. Yeah. I think I think it's fair to say, and you. I mean, even now I work six days a week, and you know I'm I'm here when I should be at home drawing, kind of thing. Frankly, kind of thing is kind of yeah, it is. It's, you're on a treadmill, frankly, um, and it's hard, but it's also good fun. So, yeah, well, which, which to me has always been the appeal, or what I've seen as the appeal of people going to work, become cover artists. Yes. Because the phrase I use is they get themselves out of the trenches. Yeah, I think it's burnt out. Yeah. I think that's one of the things as well. You kind of, yeah, you, you, I think you can quite easily get burnt out in comics. So you have to learn to look after yourself. I think it's really do you, important. Do you um, find yourself looking at comics from other people and looking at their page and panel layouts and thinking they've just knocked that out? Um, do, uh, but turn it around slightly, make it slightly less cynical. Yeah, okay. Um, do you think. A, you're a, in a select few artists who know how to, to work the medium and what's really required. I mean, we had this thing in the 90s with the image guys. Yeah. How many splash pages can yeah, I do yeah, this yeah, issue? Yeah, yeah. Storytelling went out the window. Yeah. You're obviously putting a lot of work into your storytelling. Yeah. Do you think that most, people, most comic artists these days know how to draw, but not necessarily how to story Ooh. tell. And you don't have to know right. them. No, um, I, think that's, I, I think if I'm honest, what happens with that is that if you are drawing just to draw pinups or turning every page, you can get seen quite quickly. And writers really appreciate artists that tell their stories and tell their stories well, rather than looking to do the uh, Turn it into a pin-up page. Yeah. But the editorial are only interested in getting the book out. True. So True. your week to plan the book yeah. is to them an anathema. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, well, this is the good thing about working for Dark Horse and for working for Mike, because Mike is about delivering good stories, as it were, and not splash pages. So I think 
we've got the same kind of, I think me, Dark, me and Darkle's editorial, and you know, probably Mike as well, got the same kind of, same, we've got the same goal, as it were. Yeah, we're not there, yeah, we're, we're looking to tell the story and not looking to tell, like, thinking about the money of making a splash page, as it were, kind of thing. So, you know, I think that's where it comes across. Um, Sister Band who's just drawn one punishment killing Captain America. But um, this was quite a popular page and ended up, my mate sent me recently that this is somebody's taken that, the image of Punisher and Captain America and done it on a big graffiti wall in Ireland somewhere, kind of in, that image. Nothing to do with me. But um, so, yeah, that's Punisher versus Captain America. That's also from Marvel Universe from Wolverine. Uh, this is from The Dark Tower. So I think this was the last book I'd done for Marvel before I went to BPRD. Um, again, you've got some storytelling devices here. So you've got the kind of the long, pa long panels there for storytelling, which I'm trying to get from, you know, like your classic cowboy films going on up here. So shot from the hands and things like that. But then down here, I've got this, like what I've mentioned before, about like short, quick panels, like bang, 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 and all the dogs are dead kind of thing. And that's what I'm trying to get there, is this kind of quickness at the end. So this is from Dread. So again, this is pacing, you know, kind of the pacing in this has got a lot to do with the writer who was Rob Williams. So you've got a, like a judge in trouble. You've got the judge calling for backup. Dread arrives at the end of the panel. So that's purposely put Dredd at the end of the panel because he's arriving in the next scene, as it were. So he arrives there, but then you see him here, but you only see his legs. So, you know, there's bullets firing around and there's a man not running into, into the action. This is Dredd, he doesn't run for this. He's kind of like man still. So he's just walking, casually walking in kind of thing. And then you cut to the grim shot of Dredd and then he goes in and does what Dredd does. Okay, and this is from BPRD. Um, Double page? Double page spread, yeah. Um, I don't know if I remember at the time whether this was a double page spread or I ended up turning this into a double page spread. But the idea is, is this team are just walking into a, uh, like a town and um, suddenly all these wild horses appear, which is always a pleasure for an artist to draw. So you've got all these horses come running in. Uh, and then they're kind of, they're dodging the horses and they're going, well, what are the horses running from? And then bang, you've got all these monsters suddenly appear. Uh, like chewing up the horses and then running on kind of thing. So your yeah. comment about the horses being a, a nice to draw <laughs> reminds me of Paul Neary working with Mark Greenwald on Captain America. Oh, right. And he said Mark would write Captain America trudging lonely across the desert. Then 400 all new supervillains appear over the hill. He says it takes him a second to write yeah. it. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, no, there's plenty of that. When you kind of like, when the word an army, oh no, those words alone kind of thing, you just know you're in trouble. Um, cover, I think that was the first cover that I was asked to do for uh, BPRD. Again, I used the washes there, which were done on a separate layer. Is that a young know. Hellboy? That's a young Hellboy, yeah. yeah. I think it was the first person to get to draw that, no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and that's it. So that's where I am with images. If anybody's got any questions, just kind of shout them out. Yeah, I was just going to ask, when you put so much effort into the storytelling aspects and those elements which leave the eye yeah. in your planning stage, well this dare I say this is one of the good things with Dark Horse Dark Horse put all their efforts right at the end after the story and I know it's a small thing but it's things like that that I really like I mean I've read some DC comics recently don't get me wrong I love DC comics but there was an advert in it that I thought was actually part of the story recently. Been there, done it. Yeah, and I kind of read across and then read into the advert and I'm like, whoa, hang on a sec, this is a way to go kind of thing. So, you know, there's nothing you can do, but as an artist, where they decide to put the adverts, there's nothing you can do about it. But it is great that Dark Horse do place them at the back. Please. I've got a slightly technical nerdy question to ask. There were the um, page layouts that you're submitting to the editor. Yeah. Yeah. So one's not too heavy on the other. Um, 
there be any particular reason for them to see like all of them spread out? Uh, or are they only really concerned with the balance between left and right, left and right? I always do um, page one on its own, page two, page three, and then four or five, because from then on, as it were, you're, you're seeing it as a double page spread. And I think it's just good for you as an artist to see them like that, because then you can see to yourself, oh, I've, re I've repeated the same design from that page onto the next one, as it were. So it's just a nice way of catching up. So I, I think it's, you know, when you are, I think it's a good thing to do. Stunning magazines in pagination yeah. as well. So I think it, I, I think it works. Yeah. Any other questions? Oh, go on. Regarding black, black and white and colour, yeah. you're seeing examples of uh, doing line work, usually, but then it gets coloured. Yeah. I mean, is that, are they sort of, I've got the feeling that that could be quite an advantage for colourists in some ways, in that, because uh, they're not having to deal with the hard black. Yeah, exactly. Yep, or, bl or really dark blues, or black that goes to blue. Yeah, I, I personally, if I was drawing to be straight coloured, and they were allowing, and it, you know, there wasn't an inker involved in any way at all, I would do pure line work in pencil, like uh, hard pencil, um, and I'd, I'd try not to use any kind of uh, shading at all, and do it all as X's, and then communicate with the colourist what you're looking for. Check out verses to see it really done really well. Anyone else? Okay, famous last Mike Conroy question. Oh, here we go. <laughs> it can't be anything to do with art. Okay. But if you weren't drawing comics, what would you be doing for a living? I've always said to my wife, I've always liked the idea of being a postman. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's up there with John Wagner's answer. Which was? I'd be a chicken farmer. <laughs> okay. You know that they're both quite lonesome projects, yeah, aren't they? That's the, it. The funny know. thing was, I asked him the same question five years later, and he went, well, what was my answer? And I said, chicken farmer. He went, I've done it. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Lawrence Campbell, Cheers. thank you. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thank you.